the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? We don't even know our own wicked hearts. It's not like God looks at us and thinks he gets a bargain when we get saved. No, no, no. The fact of the matter is we're all wicked. We're all sinful. We're all deceived. We're all rotten to the core. But God loves us in our rottenness. He doesn't love our sin, but he loves us in our rottenness that he would send his son Jesus to die for us. And you can't improve upon that redemptive plan by any good works you might do. The Bible makes it very clear that all have fallen short of the glory of God and that the human heart is deceitfully wicked. With that being said, why is it that so many individuals think of the gospel message as God rescuing puppies out of the mud or poisonous vipers? In today's message, Pastor Gary goes in-depth on explaining just how wicked we are and how God is more merciful than we comprehend. In his study, you'll gain a better understanding of the selfless sacrifice God made so that we could be his. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew chapter 15, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Well, here in chapter uh, 15, uh, Jesus is uh, ministering around the region of the Galilee, which is where most of his ministry took place. But he's going to do something interesting in chapters 15 and 16. He's going to move from what is commonly the area of his ministry in a two-square-mile radius between a triangular area on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee between three main cities, Capernaum, Uh, Chorazine and Bethsaida, and he's going to move in chapter 15 about 50 miles to the north-northwest into Lebanon, to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and then in chapter 16 he's going to move to the north-northeast to uh, the city of Caesarea Philippi about 30 miles, and so this is very uh, uncommon in Jesus' ministry to go to such great distance for a particular purpose. There were not a multitude of reasons. There were singular reasons that God will move uh, the heart of Jesus in, in these divine missions in the region of Tyre and Sidon, and then later in chapter 16 in the city of Caesarea Philippi. And I, I think it just kind of highlights for us uh, not only how sensitive Jesus was to the will of the Father to go where God told him to go and to say what God told him to say and to do what God told him to do, but for particular reasons, and um, I think we should see ourselves in these chapters as well. But let's start here at verse 1 of chapter 15, when it says this, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem, 
and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now I can just kind of hear Fiddler on the Roof, the theme song right now in this story here, because there's a battle here between tradition versus commandments. Some Pharisees and teachers of the law come from Jerusalem up to the region of the Galilee because they're going to challenge Jesus. So some kind of a delegation is being sent here from Jerusalem. A bunch of the bigwigs, the Pharisees, who are Orthodox Jews, they're about obeying the letter of the law, and some teachers of the law, they're going to come up to Jesus here in in the Galilee region. They're moved from uh, Jerusalem north about uh, 60 miles or so. Uh, more than that, uh, and, and they're going to inquire of Jesus about why it is that his disciples break the tradition of not washing their hands before they eat. Now, look, it's not like God is opposed to cleanliness, okay? God is into hygiene. I hope you are, too. Hygiene is a good thing. Cleanliness is not necessarily next to godliness, okay? But it's still a good hygiene practice. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a germaphobe, but I will tell you this. Some people disagree who know me. But I mean, I'll share somebody's drink if I know them, okay? I'll eat off somebody's plate and they can eat off of mine if I know them. I'm not a complete germaphobe. But when it comes to like a public restroom, I know how to work the system. Do you know how to work the system? Okay, you know what I'm talking about? You go in and after you do your business and, and even then doing your business, you got to use some, some particular uh, plans of hygiene. But then just washing your hands to get out of the restroom you got to wash your hands. Hopefully they have paper towels. None of this air dryer stuff, okay? The air dryer machines are great, except when you have to touch the doorknob of the bathroom door to get out. So now if you got the air dryer things, you got to use your sleeves. And if it's a short sleeve, you got to use, you know, something else to, to maneuver the bathroom door because you just washed your hands. So if they have paper towels, it's an easy thing to do because you grab some paper towels, you wipe your hand, then you open up the doorknob, then you put your foot at the door, and then you shoot the basket. And if you, and if you miss the basket, it's too bad. I'm not going back because I got to get out without touching anything. Okay, so, you know, there are some good practices about washing your hands. Jesus is not opposed to washing your hands. But the deal is here that these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, they're all about hygiene equals your relationship with God. That if you follow the rules of cleanliness, now you have a a rule-based relationship with God. And there's a lot of people who have a rule-based relationship with God. Follow all the rules, and then God's going to be happy with you. You know some people like that, and maybe some of you have come out of traditions like that where you have to obey all the rules. If you're a rule breaker, then God's not going to be happy with you. If you follow all the rules, God's going to like you. The problem is that God doesn't like any of us. In this sense, let me qualify it, okay? In this sense, we're all sinners. 
It's not like God is thrilled with our sinful hearts. He knows we're wicked. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? We don't even know our own wicked hearts. It's not like God looks at us and thinks he gets a bargain when we get saved. No, no, no. The fact of the matter is we're all wicked. We're all sinful. We're all deceived. We're all rotten to the core. But God loves us in our rottenness. He doesn't love our sin, but he loves us in our rottenness that he would send his son Jesus to die for us. And you can't improve upon that redemptive plan by any good works you might do. There's no good works that you and I can do to improve upon the cross. The cross was the ultimate redemptive plan of God. Now, do I want to honor God in living a life that would be pleasing to him? Yes, but that's in response to the cross. You can't improve upon the redemptive plan of God by your good works. And if you think you can, you've just nullified the cross by making it now a works-oriented faith. If I just follow a bunch of rules, God will be happy with me. No, no, no. God unconditionally loves you despite all the rules. He unconditionally loves you and me because he saw us as sinners in need of a Savior, and he sends his son Jesus to die for us. We get right standing with God not because we do right things, but because we believe by faith in the righteous work of Jesus. And that's the big difference. Now, the Pharisees were thinking, we'll get in right standing with God if we obey all the rules, including ceremonial hand-washing. And this is not just something 2,000 years ago. We were in Israel this week in the men's room. I don't know what it was like in the ladies' room, but I can tell you in the men's room, at every sink, there is a two-handled washing cup for the Orthodox Jews who have a ceremonial way of washing their hands. In the Mishnah, which is the Jewish commentary on the law, There are 18 prescribed reasons to wash your hands, and there's a whole method involved in how you wash your hands. And these two handled cups are for the purpose of filling it up with water. You wash, you rinse this hand three times, and then you take the other handle, because you don't want to use the same handle, it's unclean, fill it with water, and you rinse this hand three times, and you do this back and forth three other times. And it's a ritual way of cleansing. And even, even today, there's a whole list of, I'll just highlight a few, and some of these are, you know, um, probably not appropriate for the pulpit, but, uh, but there's, there's different reasons why, according to the Mishnah, that you would wash your hands. Listen to some of these reasons. After a full night's sleep, you've got to get up in the morning, wash your hands, first thing on the list. Or even after a lengthy nap, uh, prior to eating any bread, If you have had any contact with an unclean animal or an insect, wash your hands. If you paid a visit to a cemetery, wash your hands. Uh, After a meal, wash your hands. During a Passover Seder, wash your hands. After visiting the bathroom, that's a good thing, wash your hands. Uh, Every priest presents his hands to be ritually washed in the synagogue. After cutting one's hair, wash your hands. Cutting your nails, you had to wash your hands. After participating in a funeral procession, wash your hands. Or coming within six feet of a corpse, wash your hands. There's a whole list here. That's just a few things that they had to do in order to be ceremonially clean. So the issue that they had with Jesus is you're not following the traditions of cleanliness, and thus you're not really being godly. And what Jesus comes back with is, You're more concerned about the traditions of men 
when in fact you should be concerned more about the commandments of God. And Jesus highlights for them here the fifth commandment when he talks about honoring your father and mother. Out of the Ten Commandments, he's he's highlighting commandment number five. He says, well, here's a commandment. Let me just give you an example because you're being hypocrites. You're, You're telling me and my disciples we're not doing something according to the traditions. But let me just highlight something according to the commandments. And he highlights commandment number five. He says, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses a father and mother must be put to death. Now, that is Old Testament scripture, by the way. That if a, if a child cursed his father and mother under Old Covenant, Old Testament, it was a capital offense. Did you know that? Yeah, I'll read it to you real quickly. Some of you parents want to get out a highlighter. But this is Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 9. This is what it says, Leviticus 29. It says, if anyone curses his father or mother, he must be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother, and his blood will be on his own head. Now, I'm not advocating a return to this, because I'm the first one who loves living under grace, and we live under the new covenant. But under the old covenant, if if a child cursed his father and mother, they were stoned to death. It was a capital offense. Now, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, all right, now, let's just take the fifth commandment. And let me just challenge you guys, because here's what you do. You justify not honoring your father or mother by saying, and here's the synopsis of verses 5 and 6, by saying that, and here's here's how honoring your parents is still to be preserved, even though Jesus is talking to adults here, that even after you grow up, you have aging parents, and one way to honor them is to make sure they're taken care of. Now, we may not always have the resources and the ability to take care of our aging parents because sometimes now medical conditions make it necessary that they need more significant attention and help than what a person can give. But to whatever degree it's possible for us to take care of our aging parents, we should. And what Jesus points out here is that that you hypocrites, talking to the Pharisees and teachers of the law, You guys like to go around talking about the traditions of men when, in fact, you nullify the Word of God because you end up saying, I can't take care of my aging parents because all that I have is really devoted to God, and so all my resources are to be given to God or to be used for God's purposes, so I can't take care of my aging parents. And in this, Jesus says here, thus you nullify the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. And then in verse 7, he calls them, you hypocrites. He says, you're hypocritical. You're worried about me not washing my hands when you break the fifth commandment because you twist the word of God by saying my financial resources are devoted to God. I can't take care of my aging parents. Thus, you don't honor them. So what are you so bent out of shape about? The traditions? Those aren't scripture. That's not a not command of God. Whereas you should be more concerned about the commandments of God. And Jesus says there in verse 7, you hypocrites... Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And we have to ask ourselves, do we want a religion of rules versus a relationship of love? A religion of rules is a works-oriented system. A relationship of love is approaching God through Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross. So in verse 10, it says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Now I love verse 12. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? 
And you just see the disciples pulling Jesus aside and said, Jesus, I, we don't know if you know this, but you just offended those people back. Of course he offended them. He knew what he was saying. But he replied, verse 13, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. All right. It's not even a parable, Pete. Okay? Jesus is just shooting straight here, and Peter's like, explain the parable. All right, well, let me just say it this way, Jesus said in verse 16. Are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters your mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Okay, now, you know, he's still bouncing off this whole thing about washing your hands. And Jesus says, all right, Peter, listen up. If you don't have clean hands, but you eat something, it goes through your body into the toilet. It's done. It's over with. It's it's not a problem, he says. He says, verse 18, But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean, but eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. In other words, Jesus says it's really an issue of the heart, not the hands. Now, if you don't practice good hygiene, you might get sick for it, but it'll pass. There's a heart issue here that it's of greater concern. Jesus said it's not what goes in that makes a man unclean. It's what comes out because what comes out of a man is indicative of what's deeper in his heart. So all these other sin issues flow from the heart. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. All those things, Jesus says, originated in the human heart. They were first contemplated. They were first thought through. They were first premeditated. They were first considered. And it's those issues of the human heart. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, thus he's teaching us. He's saying, listen, the real issue of life It's not a matter of hygiene. It's a matter of heart issues. What's going on in your heart? Get your heart right with God. Because you can go around all day long saying, hey, I have clean hands. Isn't this great? I have clean hands. And you can suffer the consequences of a sinful heart and be eternally separated from God. What God says is the real issue is not are your hands clean, but is your heart clean. And a heart cleansing comes through Jesus. It's what comes when we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all sin because he honors his word. And when we are confessing of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need a heart cleansing. We need a heart cleansing is what we need. And Jesus provides it. So he's challenging them. Look, don't worry about the traditions of men as much as the commandments of God examine the heart more so than the hands. Well, verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So let me throw up, I have a couple of maps for you tonight, okay, just to get a perspective of where Jesus is traveling here. He moves from the region of Capernaum, which is his home base of ministry there around the Sea of Galilee, and he's going to travel probably up the Hula Valley up there, which is following along the, the Jordan River. And then he'll, he'll make a departure somewhere uh, to the west over the mountain range into the region of Tyre and Sidon. So I've circled the two cities for you, Tyre 
And then about 20 miles to the north is Sidon, right along the Mediterranean. These are port cities, which would be located in what is today modern Lebanon. And he's going to move about 50 miles outside of what was normally the territory of his public ministry. And it's for this one occasion, this is the only time that we have record of Jesus going to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he's going to go here to Gentile territory, and he's going to encounter a Canaanite woman. Now, Canaanites were a cursed people. Canaan was the grandson of Noah. Noah's son, Ham, did something inappropriate to Noah, and the Bible isn't quite clear as to what exactly happened, but, but Ham uncovered Noah's nakedness. Noah got drunk. First time that the word wine is mentioned in the Bible, and, and, and Noah gets uh, drunk after the flood comes to an end, and he disembarks the ark. Noah plants a vineyard. It ferments. He gets drunk. And then one of his sons does something to him that is a humiliating thing, and as a result, when Noah comes out of his drunken stupor, he curses the descendants of Ham. And in particular, Noah curses Ham's son, Canaan. So Canaan is the grandson of Noah. The Canaanites are a cursed people. The Canaanites are a people who will be occupying the land of Israel, that God will give instructions to the Israelites that they must dislodge. Now, they're still within the region. And Jesus comes to this region for this, no doubt, what will be a divine encounter, divine appointment with this Canaanite woman. So verse, verse 22 says, A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. Now it almost looks like Jesus is being... Um, standoffish here. Uh, it almost at first glance appears that he is being uh, unkind. He's, he's not even acting as if he hears her. He did not answer a word. So it says his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she, she keeps crying out after us. Now, I personally believe, obviously Jesus has reasons for everything that he does, and so we can only kind of guess. Now, why didn't he even answer her? She's talking to him, and he's just kind of without even acknowledging her, pressing on. I think it is for the purpose of challenging his own disciples to see an opportunity here. But unfortunately, they fail the test yet again. I say yet again because back in chapter 14, at the feeding of the 5,000, which is really a miracle of the feeding of 15,000 or so, because only the men were counted, Jesus says, why don't you give them something to eat? And the disciples say, why don't you send them away? And they're... They're uttering the same thing here. So here comes this dear lady. She's like, she's like, Lord, she's like, Jesus, son of David, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus just keeps walking. He's giving his disciples an opportunity. This is a ministry moment. And his disciples instead turn to Jesus and they're like, uh, maybe you don't hear this lady, but um, why don't you send her away? They seem to have the ministry of send people away, okay? Jesus always has the ministry of come unto me. His disciples have the ministry of send people away. And so here they are, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now again, this seems a little challenging because he doesn't seem to comfort her. He doesn't seem to be, you know, very encouraging to her. Now in effect, what he's saying is, my first mission is unto the Jews, which is true. Jesus came as a Jewish Messiah. 
and the ministry and the message of Messiah would come through the Jewish people. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know